Hey everybody, before we get started, I just wanted to jump on because we are so excited to announce that Restore Registration is officially open. We can't wait to be with you again this year. It's going to be on September 5th through 7th at the Mountain America Expo Center in Sandy, Utah. That's the evening of September 5th and then all day on the 6th and the 7th. Three days of incredible speakers, poets, musicians, and artists. We really think that what we have planned will blow you away again this year, so you won't want to miss it. Go to faithmatters.org slash restore for tickets and we'll see you there. Hey everybody, this is Aubrey Chavez from Faith Matters. Today we're bringing you a really amazing story that we can't wait for you to hear. It's the story of Samuel Chu, a remarkable young man who is non-speaking and autistic, and who was totally unable to communicate for the first 15 years of his life. His family was unaware that despite being non-speaking, he was actually hearing and understanding everything that they were saying, and he had so much that he wanted to share. I don't want to tell the whole story here, but after this long period of struggle, and largely through the faith and determination of his mother Mindy, Sam and the Chu family had a real breakthrough that allowed him to begin to communicate for the first time through the use of a letter board. Sam's wisdom and insights, what he's really been thinking all along, but never been able to say, are truly moving. So on this podcast, you'll hear the voices of Sam's mom, Mindy, and his sister, Julia, who helped tell the story. Sam was also present for the interview, and we also had the privilege of sending questions to Sam beforehand, which he took the time to answer, and you'll hear those near the end of the episode. For those that are watching on YouTube, you'll be able to see what the use of a letter board looks like in a brief segment after the episode ends. If you're currently listening on audio, just head over to the YouTube channel if you'd like to see that. We want to send a huge thanks to Sam and Mindy and Julia for coming on and telling this remarkable story. And with that, we'll jump right in. All right, Mindy and Julia and Sam, we're so grateful to have you here. We've um, just loved getting to know your family this last month, and we're excited to spend a little bit of time hearing Sam's story. So thank you for being here. And um, Mindy, I would love for you to just start. Could you introduce us to your family and and tell us who you have with you right now? Yes, yes. So my name is Mindy Chu, and I am the mom of Sam Chu, he's my youngest, he's 20. And then I have Julia, who's on on the call with us as well, who's the next one up. And then I also have another daughter and another son and three grandchildren. And uh, Sam has uh, multiple disabilities. He has um, epilepsy and cerebral palsy and non-speaking autism. Uh, We're gonna work our way through Sam's story, but would you maybe just start um, right at the beginning, you know, how and uh, and when Sam joined your family? Yeah, yeah. So, um, like I said, we have we have three biological children, but we just kept having that feeling, my husband and I, that we wanted to have a fourth child, and uh, the fourth child never materialized. And so, um, once we had pretty much accepted that I was not going to bear another child, um, I was like, "Yay! You know, we're done. Don't need to worry about that." And then I got this really clear impression of um, that all of us are spirits who live in heaven with God. And then we come down and we plop down to bodies all over the world. And so we were all together there, but um, we were divided up into places all around the world. And so I thought about I actually visualized little spirits plopping down into China. And since my husband is Chinese, I thought, oh, well, that would be perfect. We could do a Chinese adoption. And this was really the first time adoption had crossed my mind. So it's interesting, all these uh, years wishing and praying and hoping for another child, I didn't really think about adoption. Um, 
And so I went home as like from, I was driving when I had that impression. And then I went home and immediately started researching Chinese adoption. And I was like, okay, this is not going to work when you have three other children and you have so much uncertainty and you don't know how long you're going to be stuck in China waiting for the child. Um, so I thought, no, that's not going to work. And then I happened to be thumbing through a church, like a local church DIY newspaper that was sitting on my kitchen table. And there was an ad for the church family services department saying they were looking for foster parents. And I thought, oh, maybe that's something I could do. So I called the number and instead of getting, you know, an administrative assistant or someone, I got one of the social workers and he said, well, tell me more about you. Tell me more about your family. And I, I described our family. He goes, oh, I don't think you should be foster parents. I think you should be adoptive parents. We decided to go through that system. My husband and I agreed to do it. We went to lots of classes. Um, he was serving as a bishop of our, of our congregation at the time. It was a lot of work. Um, and we faithfully went to the required classes with the other couples and one by one they would all disappear because they were chosen because they were cute and young to be birth parent or to be adoptive parents so after I feel like it was about a year and a half of going through that process I just said one day I said Heavenly Father I'm done if you want us to have another kid I know you can make that happen but I'm done like hoping praying wishing and I put all the baby stuff in the attic and turned the room that we had built onto our house for that fourth child into a library. And that afternoon, I got a call from a social worker saying that there was a Chinese baby who had some mild special needs, um, who was the, the parents were looking for a family for. So um, the, the really heartbreaking circumstances that led to him um, needing to be placed for adoption were that the, he has a biological sister with extremely severe autism that was just, um, it was just all they could handle. And she never slept and mom wasn't getting any sleep and they were just, so he was a, he was a very wanted child, um, but when they realized that he was also going to have autism or developmental disabilities, um, they started looking for a family to place him with. And um, the way that they found us, they're not members of our church, but they had a therapist in their home who was a member of our church. And they said, and they had not been able to find anyone that they felt comfortable with. And then they said, why don't you try this church family services department? And so they went to the office and they opened the notebook. And this is a place that's two hours away from here. So it's all, all of California, each office has a notebook. And they saw our family and they said, that's the family. Um, and the other thing that was really, um, I mean, it took faith for us to adopt a child with special needs, but it took even more faith for them to entrust their child with us. And one of the things that was a sacrifice, a big sacrifice in our family was my husband was serving as a bishop at the time, but um, they, they are Christians and they felt like the symbolism of him serving as a bishop was very, was very important. And that was like, that was a sign from God to them that, it, that it was okay. And can I, can I just add, um, yes, please. This, 
I was not, I mean, I was pretty young during this whole process, but when I got older and I started asking more questions, it's very clear that this was definitely, you know, uh, designed by God. Sam, Samuel's name is Samuel. Um, and they, they named him Samuel because uh, they, they asked for him. They, they, he was a wanted child. And, and that's the story of Hannah and Samuel, I believe. And then Hannah gave her, her son Samuel to um, the priest at the temple. And so when my mom talks about my dad being oh my a bishop, um, that's, um, that, that was what they saw. And that was their, uh, their reassurance from God that this was the right, the right thing to do. Wow. And she, Hannah, um, Hannah came once a year to see her son at the temple and she made him a little coat every year. And so they, they sent him a coat every year Wow! on his birthday. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And a lot of other wonderful generous gifts oh my gosh. but the is symbolic and the other thing i mean the other thing that I, I i think if you talk to anyone who's involved in adoption they need they need signs like this to reassure them that they're doing the right thing and the other sign that was that helped me because i i wasn't sure that i could take this on as we got to know like what would be involved in the therapies that would, would be involved but the, the day that we got the call from um, the social workers saying that there was a child right before that, either before or after that phone call, my older son from the living room said, what's Sam short for? And I had no idea. He was on the computer and I said, Samuel. And he goes, oh yeah. And we didn't know his name. We And, and so as I was lying in bed that night, I'm like making plans because that's me making plans. And I'm like, okay, she said the people have accents. So that means they're from China. That means he doesn't have an American name. So we're going to need to get, we're going to need to pick an American name. Then we'll use his original Chinese name. Like I'm already making plans and I've only, it's only been a few hours. And so I'm lying in bed thinking Samuel Chu, that goes really well. That like, that really works. And so I called the social work, social worker back the next morning. Cause I had so many questions that said, number one, what's his name? And she said, his name is Samuel. Oh my God. So amazing. That's amazing. And I think you're so right. Like just those little assurances. I mean, in, in, in whatever you're dealing with, just getting those little assurances that you're, that God is aware of the situation is sometimes what gives you all the strength. I hope that this is a, this is an interview that people will watch because Sam is here with us, but will you just talk about why that was so important to have him? He, he is non-speaking, but this was a really important thing that he could be on this interview while you both talk with him and about him. So would you just, would you explain to the audience? Yeah. Yeah. Because the reason we're here is because he is, he has learned to communicate by pointing to letters on a letter board and he's brilliant, not just intelligent, regular intelligence, but he's brilliant and funny and has a personality. And so this is a 20 year old human being who we're talking about and his whole life, he's been talked about as if he's not here. And so part of part of my us being honorable and honoring him and respecting him is for him to be present when he's being talked about. Um, and he spelled a lot of things to contribute to this interview, but it's um, it's not easy to necessarily do things that involve recording and video when we're together. So um, but I, it's important yeah. to have him here. 
Yeah. Thank you. Thank you to Sam and to, to you both for doing that. Cause I know that, that this is a new, this is a new experience. So we're really glad that you'd be willing to try it with us. Thank okay, you. Julia, Julia, will you, will you give us a little bit of your perspective? Do you remember this, this era when Sam was new to the family and we know, what do you remember about growing up with him? Yeah, I, I remember it almost like watching a slideshow. Um, you know, I was seven when he was adopted. I, I have scenes of when we were meeting with the birth family, I've seen some meeting his other, his birth siblings, um, scenes of the adoption ceremony, scenes of, I, I remember we went to like an outback steakhouse afterwards. And I remember thinking like, we just, we just went through this huge, there was this ceremony where one person was passed from one family to another. And, and then we just went to like a Western themed restaurant <laughs> and like you just you just take it one step at a time I think is is kind of what um I I had gotten from that just it it seemed it seemed it was normal life to me whereas I was a kid I this was my sphere I had never lived outside of the sphere and so I didn't know what was um you know what was average or not average and I was also the youngest child and so I had never seen another human grow up. And so when I was watching my brother grow up, I, I, I didn't know what the normal milestones were. I, I realize now I did not understand the situation, um, (laughs) while I was in it. And, um, it's been a great blessing, um, having perspective now as an older person to see, Um, you know, my mom just explained that story about how she came, they came to decide to adopt this person with special needs, but, you know, as an adult who could be, you know, could be making those kind of decisions and to think about the courage and the faith and the prayer that it really takes for someone to do that, um, gives me perspective on my childhood, if that makes sense. Um, yeah. Julia, did you, did you feel like as you grew up together that you, and prior to Sam finding a way to communicate with words, did you feel like you had some sort of communication with him, whether it be heart to heart or whatever it was? Sure. Yeah. Um, honestly, like this sounds sad, but, but no, I, I really felt like, like, I remember that we were having a conversation at dinner um, one time, I, I don't remember how old I was. This was before Sam started spelling to communicate. And my dad said, you know, I think Sam knows his name. And we we're all kind of like, okay, like, well, where's your evidence? And, you know, I would test it out and, you know, call Sam's name and, and see if he responded. Um, back then I didn't have the eyes to be able to interpret his body and, and what, what it means, but I really felt like, um, I don't know the the best place the best the best way I've learned how to describe it is I I had nowhere for my love to land like as soon as Sam was adopted I I felt like I loved him like he was my brother uh, as as soon as we adopted him that was just normal life and you know I did everything I could to to help him I I would be the little therapist's like helper in the house I would go with my mom to all the therapy sessions I when I got older and I could drive I would take Sam out on drives because, you know, he couldn't go anywhere. So I was like, well, if I can go somewhere, I'm going to take him with me. Um, but I, I really wanted that relationship, but not knowing if he knew who I was. And on the flip side, 
not knowing him. Like I really, I, I knew the outside, but I didn't know his inside. And I didn't even know if there was an inside to know. I, I just felt like I had all this love and I had nowhere to land. Yeah. So when I, when I, when I talk about what the difference has been, you know, him being able to spell to communicate, I feel like I finally, that love finally has a place to go that I can have this two-way relationship with him. Yeah. That's awesome. You, you mentioned that your dad, I think was the one that said, I think Sam knows his name. Um, prior to, uh, prior to Sam learning to spell, to communicate, was there, was there a, a general sense among family members or differing opinions on, you know, sort of, and, and how did this change over time? Like there, there's more going on inside than we, than we currently know. I believed after meeting some, um, other people who actually ended up able to help with the self-injury, I believed that by healing his body from autism, that autism is not a mental illness, which, which I still believe firmly, um, that he's got all kinds of medical issues that are contributing, contributing to his, his issues, but having, so I, I figured when he's healed from autism, he'll be able to talk, he'll every, every, all the milestones will kick in. He'll, he'll, he'll develop normally. He'll be able to talk, but I really like, honestly felt like I was taking care of a pet. I mean, um, I, I didn't really feel, um, I, I knew that his spirit was there. I knew that his spirit was there, but in terms of like, he's looking at me now, but he didn't look at us. He didn't smile unless we were swinging him or, um, I, I just want to underscore what Julie said. I, I really didn't have a clue, honestly. Wow. I just, I just can't stop thinking about, you know, it's so like parenthood can just be so grueling anyway. And, and it's that feedback, I think that sometimes keeps you going. So it, it it's just so hard to imagine being in this position where you are giving and giving, and you really don't know if he is, I mean, he's receiving physical care, but it'd be, I just can't imagine being in this position of not knowing if he's receiving the love, like if he, if he can recognize you and accept and love and be grateful for, for all of the love that you're sending. And it just, I, I really just cannot fathom years and years of not knowing. So I, I'd love to hear how your, you know, where faith comes in, into this story, in this, in this section of the story where there wasn't a solution to communication yet, where you were kind of in this, this like space where you didn't know if it would ever change. I mean, you had no reason really to believe that it would change. So what, what did, how did your faith play a role in, in giving you hope or giving you strength or purpose or, you know, what, what role did that play for you? So every day we notice milestones and we celebrated. So when he walked and when he, um, and he, and he was funny and, you know, the kids would knock him over. <laughs> like he's sitting and look, you can knock him over. I mean, just, there was so, we have so many beautiful pictures, so much joy, so much love. Um, it's just that we didn't get that speech or that um, the expressions on his face that gave us that feedback, but, you know, he loved to eat and we would enjoy feeding him. And it was fun to, you know, take him out of car and open the window and let the wind blow in his hair or swing him. And then when we would swing him, he would smile. I remember there's a wonderful talk by Henry B. Eyring where he talked about um, where he kept a journal of the beautiful things that happened every day. I, I call it the tender mercies talk, but um, just 
all the evidences of God's love every single day. And so I really religiously have done that, have really tried to pay attention to those things. So through the the worst, absolute worst times, and there were some nightmarish, I mean, many, many nightmarish um, days and moments where I, it, it was it was really, it was really, really hard trying to figure out how to, how to get him to stop trying to hurt himself. Um, that there were always still moments. And so I did all the things I prayed. I, I sang hymns to him. We listened to the book of Mormon on tape. We, um, when we drove around in the car and I thought about this today, we were listening to, podcasts of church talks, conference talks, BYU-Idaho talks, church music. So we really um, flooded ourselves with with uplifting content. And um, I'm thinking back on that now, and now that I know that his brain is in there, and he was probably really enjoying that because he's very religious right now. Um, So I also... um, Throughout this this process, the other thing I, I point that I really wanted to make was that mm. um, my prayers were answered. So I'm praying constantly, right? And they weren't answered immediately, but they were answered usually in the form of somebody being dropped in my lap who had something that would help. And so um, one of the people who was dropped in my lap said, hey, you know, he's sick. (laughs) And, um, this is another autism mom. And she said, you can go have your doctor order these tests for his gut and yeast and things like that. And you, this is what you will find. And she was right. And so we changed his diet. And, um, I mean, I was growing my own weird kefir on the counter. I mean, and so through this, um, and, and this is just one example, but therapies and different things that came to us that were able to be helpful. Um, he was able, the self-injury just went way, 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 way down because he was, he was in a huge amount of pain and it felt better, believe it or not, to punch himself in the face than to have his stomach hurting so bad. Wow. Wow. I've heard, I've heard Julia, I've heard you say, talk about your, your mom's relentless optimism. And it's just, it's so interesting to hear the, the story unfold because there does seem, it, it does seem that, that faith for you expresses itself as total acceptance of what is and like complete hope <laughs> that answers are coming. And it just seems like all along your story in your story that that just happened over and over again. And in, and then eventually in sort of this miraculous way. So I wondered if maybe Julia as we kind of get to this era where you find some solutions for communication, can you talk? Cause I, I know you're kind of an expert at, the, I mean, you're probably, I think you're probably both experts in all things non-speaking autism now, but, but could you talk about the barriers to communication? Cause this is something I really didn't understand until I, I heard you speak about it. And then um, maybe you can tell us just about the first, how, about when you heard um, about Sam spelling for the first time. Sure. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I, I guess kind of the, the background in terms of how to understand, you know, going from an understanding or a paradigm of this person is not intellectually in there to, wow, this person is completely intact intellectually, but they have, you know, they have issues or their, their, their obstacles are getting out that intellect. 
Um, that understanding, or I guess the what we talk about is there's there's a difference between speech and language. Language is a, a purely cognitive ability. Um, you can have thoughts about the words that are going, you know, I, I'm speaking to you, you're having <laughs> thoughts about the words that I'm saying, and those thoughts are staying in your brain, but you're not speaking a single word. You still have language, or you, you have language. Speech, on the other hand, is a, is a purely motor ability. It's the ability to coordinate your teeth, your tongue, your lips, your articulators, your jaw to make speech sounds. And every form of communication, every form of getting language from one person's inside head to another person's inside head requires the use of the body, whether that's making a facial expression, um, gesturing, writing, typing, spelling, speaking. Um, and, and so we're finding that those with autism, or, or maybe I should back up and say, you really can't know if the reason that someone is not communicating or is not having successful communication is because they don't have the language or they don't have the speech or they don't have the purposeful motor. Those are two separate variables. And until you give someone, until you coach their body and give them a reliable way to communicate in a way that their body can communicate, you have no way of testing what language is actually in there. So for those with autism, speech is a very fine motor, very difficult skill. So is typing, writing, or, or anything that requires, you know, dexterity, moving small muscle parts. Um, and so when, when we find, we find that when we take someone, you know, who's non-speaking and has autism and we give them or coach their body in a form of communication that uses gross motor, it's not fine motor. So using your shoulder to extend your arm to point to a letter on a letter board and pull back that lowers the motor demand of, you know, a, a, a type of language output or type of communication, which then frees them to communicate everything that's inside their brain. And so again, when you, when it's, it's really the things that we're seeing as communication, you know, body movements, speech, until you give someone a reliable form of that, you, you can't know what's inside. And so for Sam and for so many kids with autism who have done letterboarding, when they get to the letterboards, it's like being liberated. They're finally given a chance to show us what's actually inside because they've been taught in a, in a way it, it, what they need. We, be, before they had communication, we didn't know what they needed, right? We were doing our, the best we could to interpret their body as, as what we knew to interpret it as. And until someone said, you know, I think, I think that we should try this other thing, or I think that person's in there, let's try giving them a different way of communicating. Um, it wasn't until then that we were able to, you know, discover this. And, and it's kind of, you know, to bring it back to something my mom said, like, I think the thing that I have to reckon with the most um, and forgive myself the most for is talking to Sam like he wasn't there. Um, and so I, when you asked about what was that first, what was that first time like when I saw him spell? I mean, it was, it, we, we talk about, you, you brought up my mom's opti optimism which was, I think, the major demonstration of her faith. And to go back to your question, Tim, about, you know, did people have almost different levels of optimism or belief? My mom definitely had the highest. And um, she unfortunately got ridiculed for that sometimes. We're not going to lie. We were bad sports. Um, but when I saw, so, so when my mom told me, hey, Sam spelled Massachusetts today on a letterboard, I was like, okay, this is another mom crying wolf mom did there, Sam did this, Sam did that. And we're like, okay, mom. Yeah, sure. 
But then when I watched the video, there was absolutely no doubt in my mind that that was him. Like, it's not what we call clean spelling. Like there are mispokes. He's having trouble, but it was one of the first times that anyone was ever teaching him how to use his arm to point to a letter on the letter board. It's like watching someone learn to play piano for the first time. Um, but I had never seen Sam move his body with so much intention before. And so even though it wasn't technically clean, I, I had no doubt that it was him. And, um, that moment was like a moment of reckoning because you, it was like a flat, like your life flashes before your eyes because you're like, Oh shoot. What have I said in front of him? And it's changing your entire paradigm. And then it's also simultaneous joy that he's in there. And like, does he know me? Does he know who I am? And then fear, what, what is he going to say about me when I get to hear his real thoughts about me? Does he love me? Does he hate me? Does he, you know, what? there's just this beautiful Pandora's box, but like you wouldn't have it any other way. Yeah. Can you, can you talk about that experience when you did start to communicate with Sam? Like was I, you talked about this, this moment of, you know, of reckoning of potentially regret for, for certain things. Um, have you worked through that specifically with Sam? Have you addressed that with him as, you know, as, as a sister and how has that process been of getting, getting to know each other on, uh, on that level? Yeah, absolutely. I I've, I've thought about a, a lot about our story and our relationship and I'm working on a memoir about it. So I, I've had oh, wow. to write and think a lot about it. And I, I've read him portions of my memoir where I'm really candid and honest about um, how I felt. I mean, I remember there was an afternoon where it, it was um, he, it was right in the years when the hitting was really bad and, you know, tension was really high in the home and there was an autism professional who had told us like, you, ha- you need to tell Sam to stop. You just need to like whip him into shape basically. <laughs> and I went to his room and I, I think, I mean, as far as I remember, I, I think I yelled at him for like 20 minutes and I had no idea if he was in there or not. Um, and, you know, that was one of the moments that, you know, comes back, that came back to me, you know, when he, he first started spelling and, um, I I have had to work on that. And it's a lot of forgiveness for yourself. A a quote that has helped me a lot, I believe is Maya Angelou, um, you know, do your best until you know better. And then when you know better, do better. And we were doing the best we could. Like we were, I I was just a kid, you know? And I remember um, one day coming home from high school and it was, it was a bad day. I could tell just by the state of the house, you know, laundry, there's blood, there's poo and, you know, walking into the house. And I, I gave my mom a hard time. I said, well, you know what you were getting into. And she said, I had no idea what I was getting into. We were all just doing the best we could um, living day by day. And it was that faith and that optimism that my mom had that got us out of it. It was, it was miracles. It was prayer. I can't think of anyone more Christ-like than my mom who had to deal with, um, you know, wrestling her own son, trying to save him from hitting himself from the blood. Um, and her relentless optimism, I cannot stress how, how relentless her optimism was. And I can't imagine anything other than the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ that gave her that strength because I can't, 
I can't imagine what else could give you that kind of strength other than my mom just being awesome. So <laughs> um, I don't know if I answered your question, but yeah, no, yeah. that was so great. Thank you. Mindy, is there anything you want to add about that first experience and being vindicated a little bit? <laughs> wow. I'm just so glad I invited Julia. As mom, you can never get enough. That's really beautiful, Julia. I, I uh, you know, when you're in it and you, as a mom, you feel bad because you haven't been able to help, you know, no matter what you do, it's not helping your child. Um, it's really nice to know that um, you didn't suffer too badly, I guess, or that I, I really appreciate your, I really appreciate your words so much. Um, I really just have to give a shout out to the earth angels who, I mean, the person who was, who led the program, who was the first person to tell me that Sam could have a different life. And he was at this center for neuroplasticity and she didn't turn him away. And she talked to him like he was in there. And then she launched this really intense program that, but she was the first person to plant the idea in my head that Sam could get better from the condition that was causing his autism symptoms. And then after this program, um, another member of our church told me about this other mom and she was the one who said, look, he's sick and this is what you need to do with his diet. And you need to get these blood tests done and you'll find out that what I'm telling you is true. And she was right. And that's when, that's when his health really started to improve. And, and we would not have been able to even start the spelling to communicate program if we hadn't gotten the self-injury under control. Um, so, yeah. Uh, Mindy, what do you feel like you've learned about Sam? Like how, how have you gotten to know him in a new way since he's learned to spell? To oh my goodness. Yeah. And I have, I have a lot of his quotes, not just your interview questions, but a lot of things he spelled. Um, the first, I mean, the first few words that he spelled that were, that were original. I don't know how you say it, Julia open. So when he first starts spelling, he's only, he's only spelling things that you ask him to spell or known answers because you have to know which board to hold up because it, the alphabet's divided into three boards. And as he gets more accurate and his muscles are built up and his hand eyes built up, then you get to a 26 letter board. So one of the, one time she asked him, what would Sam save money for? And he spelled college. And I'm like, what? And then um, she asked him another time. We had another person who works with us who was who was being trained on the letterboards. And she, she said, how did Lisa do on her first time in the letterboards? And he spelled killer. And, oh. and then I have a really, I mean, I spelling parents can just talk your ear off about what their kids say, but I have some really, really funny things. So, so I guess, um, the, the humor, the sense of humor, he, he said, he spelled, he spelled living with me is like being blasted by hidden landmines combined with jokes and scripture references. And that is, that is true. It's true. true. (laughs) So he's just, he's just so funny. I could go on and on about that, but he's also like really profound too. Wow. 
Yes. Yeah, we'll read some of his yeah. um, the responses. But do you have that his Christmas poem on hand by chance? I have it right here. I I heard your story, and but there was something about this poem that when I read that, just it made it gave so much clarity to the whole situation. Like it, I don't know if it's that he's talking about memories from when he's so young that is really touching because you realize you it just really makes it sink in that he really was there. He was always there, you know, absorbing everything that was going on and was able to talk about it. And then he writes this beautiful poem. And so if you've got it, I'd love for you to read it. I do have it. Do I have do it? have it. Would you, you have it? it? Would you like to read it? Sometimes I like to have other sure. readers. Oh, I would love to read it. Sure. Yeah. So it's called, and I didn't remember what year this is. When was this? Was this he just, just a couple months ago? He just wrote it a couple oh, months ago. Just this Christmas. Oh, wow. Okay. I don't think it was for Christmas. It, okay. It's about, about Christmas. Christmas. Okay. Yeah. All right. It's called Gold, Frankincense, and Miracles. And it says, I remember songs heard only before Christmas. I remember my sister's voices singing. I remember smelling baked goodness from mom's kitchen. I remember Bowie running like he'd seen a ghost. I remember sitting on the leather sofa, wondering if he heard my pleas, quietly or not so quietly, sitting in my world, waiting for the miracle of his birthday and the release from my silence. Christmas miracles don't happen only in December. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, we wouldn't have gotten through that, so. Julia, would you want to jump in and talk a little bit about once Sam learned to spell to communicate, what his story, how his story has progressed and what he's, what he's doing now? Absolutely. Um, I mean, it's amazing. So again, I, mean, I think my mom's optimism plays a role in this as well, but just for some context, when you, when you first start spelling and you, you can't necessarily say spell things openly, like my mom explained um, you have to practice on the three three boards with three sep- three boards that have the alphabet broken up onto three boards. The goal is, you know, the targets are bigger. And so you could practice. And then once you get really good on the three boards, then you can move to a 26 letter board to a keyboard and so on. And, and it's kind of like, you know, how in piano, you would start with a really simple song and then work your way to a more difficult song. And then you can freestyle on your own. Um, that's kind of like, you know, the analogy that I would say. And so Sam is, is just getting to the point where he's, he's starting to freestyle, which is awesome. Um, when, when Sam was still in the phase before he was freestyling, so to say, so to speak, my mom was like, well, he's, we, we'd always asked the question of baptism and then like, no, he, he's not eligible. He he's, you know, sinless. He doesn't need to be baptized. And then we learned that he was fully, you know, in there, so to speak. And we're like, okay, well, baptism. And, and this was before he could be open. And I remember having long family discussions about like, you know, does he need it? Does he not need it? Uh, let's wait till he can choose it for himself. Let's wait till he's open. Um, and he did. That was one of his first goals was that he, he wanted to be baptized. He answered all the baptismal interview questions through a letter board. And, um, and from there, after, after he got baptized, he said he wanted to serve mission. And it, actually, I think, I think it was a question and a lesson, like, like what's a goal you have. I don't think he was asked specifically, do you want to serve a mission? It was, he brought it up himself in a lesson. He said he wanted to serve a mission and, it, and, um, then during the pandemic, we, my mom got a call from our Bishop and was like, Hey, service missions are a thing. 
And and we had kind of put the whole missionary discussion aside because we were in the middle of a pandemic. And again, my mom's optimism and can-do attitude, she hopped on it. And um, it's been a year. They've been on their mission for a year now on a service mission. And uh, it's it's just absolutely incredible. Um, you, you know, met having having that faith and optimism speaking from someone who was on the other side, who was like, mom, you're just a, you're just a well-wisher. You're, this is never going to come true. You're just, you're just setting yourself up for hope fatigue or for disappointment. I was, I was the wrong one. We were all the wrong one. My mom, my mom was the right one. And Sam like kudos to Sam for, you know, putting in the work to be able to spell it's, it's not easy. It is not easy for someone who has a body who is constantly fighting you and who you you don't have control over to gain the control to spell. And so the work that he's put in to be able to communicate and then to use those precious moments of energy to talk about wanting to go on a mission and, and so much of what he says, like he spelled, is scripture references, is declarations of faith is, you know, like he, he has a limited amount of time to communicate or or chances to communicate and 90, if not more percent is dedicated to testifying. Will you talk about what you're doing together on his mission? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so service missions are awesome by the way. And so you can, they're very flexible and kind of the the slogan this the service mission leaders use is teaching missionaries bring people unto Christ and service missionaries bring Christ to the people. Wow, and so that. we just get to do whatever we want that will serve people. And so there are, um, and then we have every month we have a mission conference with the other service missionaries in the area. And then we, every week we have a mission devotional with the other service missionaries in the area. So they've given Sam assignments to prepare ahead of time on the letter board that we've been able to read as part of the mission devotional. Um, the, depending on your ability, there are lots of, so, so there's some service missionaries who will, they'll serve at uh, the Bishop storehouse one day, Habitat for Humanity another day, um, Catholic charities, a lot of refugee work. Ronald McDonald House. Um, and there's also a place um, that recycles computers called Computers to Kids. So what we do is we go to a church-owned camp um, that's an hour away, an hour drive each way, and um, which is great. He loves being in the car. So it's that's a feature, it's not a bug. Um, and we water, we water plants there. And it's just uh we get more out of it than I think the camp gets out of it. But that that's a beautiful experience. And then when I was um thinking about this mission, it's it's like it's a lot of work to take care of Sam's body, even though I know that his brain and his spirit is in there, it's a lot of work to take care of Sam's body. So I just kind of told Heavenly Father, I said, so my mission is just gonna be flowers. I love to do flowers. And so I was kind of like a joke to Heavenly Father. I was like, look, every, I'm just going to help him go to his assignments and I'm going to do flowers. But that has blossomed up. <laughs> Good one. I didn't even mean to. I'm not funny that often, but yeah. 
that really, it has blossomed though into um, when you give people flowers, give flowers away for free, which I always do, um, you end up with more opportunities to give flowers away for free. So like I, um, there's uh, domestic violence survivors that um, when they go to their new homes, they get a bouquet and then um, I made friends with the hospice person. And so I make bouquets for her. I'm doing some for a memorial service. And then I just, I just give them away to, to cheer people up. So, um, and then we do spelling and, and what's really been amazing too, is it's elder Chu is using his gift with words. I mean, he's answered people's prayers just by I'll share, I'll share something that he spelled. And someone said, that was just what I needed. One thing that's been on my mind is the listeners who are hearing this right now and are inspired by Sam's story, but maybe in their own times of deepest trial. So their the their corollary for you know when Sam was really in that phase of of self harm those those days that were incredibly dark for you, um, and they may be thinking you know where's where's my miracle when is that gonna when is that gonna happen Do you have do you have if you could speak directly to those people what what might you what might you say Yeah. Um... And we definitely have to have, because Sam has a lot of advice for those people. Um, and I wrote down a couple of ideas. Um, expect miracles. I had that written, expect miracles. Notice the small tender mercies because you will find them every single day. Even if it means that you have the ability to hear a bird singing. Um, be prepared to follow your answers to prayer. I love what Aubrey, Aubrey, you say this a lot in your podcast. You say, consider the fruit. And I, I felt like I did a checks and balance to see if this was a true prompting from God. And then the fruit was, and then make sure the fruit was good. So you will get answers to your prayers in, in unusual ways. And you need to be, be prepared to follow them. The other thing that's huge is I mean, I feel bad, like if you really don't have the health to have a hobby, but seriously, like I am not one of those people who, um, I'm like a slacker. I, I like, instead of doing my homework, I was always sewing or doing something creative. And I used to think that, oh, I should like work harder. I should study more. But now I realize that's such a feature that with this marathon that now we're on, we've got him at one and now he's 20. I know how to like have hobbies and do creative things. And while he was having so many seizures that were not under control, we were trying to figure out what medications would work. <laughs> At the same time, I was doing like um, surprise room makeovers in people's houses. And like I was doing, I was making memo boards. And I, so I'm always doing something that uplifts me. That's really creative. Um, so like no matter what's going on, you just, you just have to find the joy and gratitude in life. Wow. That is such an amazing list. Thank you. We, we just published this book from Catherine Knight Sontag and had a conversation with her and she talks about in her book and, and in the interview about how connecting creativity is to the divine. And so, but I think sometimes we think of that as like a selfish, you know, little side thing that we'll do when we have time. And I love this idea that like that is the truest essence of who we are sometimes. And so it's a direct connection to God. Julia, do you have anything to add? 
Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to like think what you, what you'd say about, to people who are dealing with like, they're like the most totally. difficult things. And I, know? I will say, you know, while I grew up in the same household as my mom and Sam, my, my trials were definitely very different. I've never felt I, the, the burden of 24 seven caretaking for someone. Um, I, I feel the daunting of someday that being my task currently, but, but I've never had that on my shoulders, um, before. Um, and so, so I don't know if my wisdom is as profound as my mom's because in the context of, of having to deal with she's dealt with and being able to give that advice like that, I think really shows the, the merit of, of her advice. But I guess just from my perspective, um, I, uh, there, there's a line in, in my patriarchal blessing, I guess I, I feel comfortable sharing that says, God will give you the experiences that you need so that you can accomplish the things that he'll ask you to do. It's, it's almost like a catch 22 or a chicken and the egg. Um, I, I never thought that my, my career or, you know, a memoir, I never thought I would write a memoir. I never thought it would be about, um, you know, growing up, um, with my brother and autism and, I have seen being, being able to connect the dots in the past. I have seen how God has used the experiences in my life, you know, growing up in this household, um, having the education that I have and put me in specific places so that I can help the the most people, um, in my current job that I have, you know, I, I work for this autism therapy company, you know, the, the, the therapist that was the first person to start teaching Sam to spell, Um, And I consult parents all the time and having been in their shoes, or at least in proximity to their shoes is so helpful for them, being able to consult with them, to talk to them, to help them through this journey. Um, And that was 100% orchestrated by God, you know, all, all of these different things coming together. And, And so I would say, you know, it's really hard when you're in the thick of things and you don't know how the dots are going to connect to to have that faith and to have that hope. So hopefully if I can share my story and say, okay, I'm on the other side of my mountain and my dots are connecting that can help someone, um, be like, okay, I have, I have hope for, for my future too. Yeah. Thank you so much, Julia. Um, one of the things that as we sort of move toward wrapping up here, one of the things that I think is most exciting about this interview is that we were able to send Sam questions directly and, he was gracious enough to take the time to uh, to answer those, and we and you guys created video of this. And so, for our audio only listeners, you can head to our YouTube, and we'll put we'll put that video as part of this as part of this video on the Faith Matters YouTube channel. Um, but for the purposes of of audio, I thought maybe the way to be most true to the intent is maybe Aubrey or I could ask the questions, and one of you could respond. Uh, using Sam's words that, that he spelled for this. All right. Well, I'll, I'll ask these questions. Okay. 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 Sam, what has been the hardest part about not being able to communicate verbally? Most upsetting reality is no one thinks I'm interested in them. What are you most grateful for? Strong women. What advice do you have for people facing difficult trials? Get God, work hard, one day at a time. 
What brings you joy? Time with family. How has serving a mission helped you draw nearer to God? I now meet Jesus everywhere. What do you want the world to know about people in a position like yours? Right now, stories of autistics like me happen to make headlines as anomalies. I really want others to know I'm not special. We hear and understand everything. How has your faith given you strength when you felt overwhelmed? Listening for who the Lord upheld in times of trials sustains me during times of difficulty. Thank you so much, Rao. Thank you, Sam. Is there anything, Julia or Mindy, that you want to that you want to bring up about any of these answers? I can tell you, I I was so moved by the first his first answer to what's been the hardest thing about being able to communicate ver- verbally because in in like my own you know mental exercise of imagining being in in his position, it seems like it would be most frustrating to not be able to get your needs met, like not to be able to say exactly what you want. And yeah. I just, I was so moving that the thing that has been hardest is, is the other side is, is that he wants to be able to give to other people and to like have that yeah. real intimacy, like this back and forth sharing of interest and, and needs. And that says so much about who he is. I'm, I'm really glad. I'm really glad you caught that. Um, the other one that just really, well, I'm just blown away by how smart he is. I mean, I don't use the word anomalies. I, he's just, um, and, and he really wants to, he really wants to advocate for his people, which is, um, but the other thing that I, because he has, it's so hard to do. And when the people who see the video, I hope you do go to YouTube and see the video. Um, he, he's able to be very efficient in his use of words. So he's, he's really an amazing poet. And, and the, but when he says something like, I now meet Jesus everywhere. I mean, that gave me, you know, you could have an hour two hour discussion about what that means. You could think about how it means that when you're serving others, you're serving the savior. You could think about how, when you're at the serving at the camp, you're surrounded by him because you're surrounded by his creations. Or when you're meeting with other missionaries, you're surrounded by other people who are representing him. And I'm sure there's many other ways um, that that's relevant. Um, So I'm this super, super proud mom. And I have some other things that he's spelled. Um, Is there any way I could read a few more? Please, yes. Okay. This is to give people hope. He said many things to give people hope. When he was preparing a talk, he said, The talk might help more sisters, brothers hang in there during tough stretches of life. Every word I have spelled in Jesus's name has been of his grace. Um, When he was, I think it was his 17th birthday. And again, we, when we started starting to communicate, we were able to ask him what he wanted for his birthday for the first time ever, what he wanted to be for Halloween for the first time ever. Um, so we asked him, 
um, what do you want for your 17th birthday? And he spelled eat cake. And Don Marie said, anything else? What about a gift? And he spelled gifts are getting old. And <laughs> we're just dying. And then she says, well, isn't there anything you want? And I'm like, come on, we want to know what do you want? And he spelled E-M equity. And we're both like, what? And so Don Marie's like, look, you got to Google this, Google it. So I Googled it and it was a thing. Like it wasn't a misspoke. It's really a thing. It stands for emerging markets equity. These funds offer investors access to countries and regions that are not, that are undergoing economic transition. I'm like, oh, so you want to invest in emerging markets for your birthday? And he's like, I'm kidding. And then I'm like, okay, Sam, you slay me. Is there anything else you want? And he spelled the faith to intend to complete a mission sometime. So that was when he first kind of said that. And then we said, um, when we were preparing for his baptism, which was also was later that year, um, we said, what can we do to help your head be more comfortable going under the water during the baptism? And he spelled, please try not to take too long about a dunk. (laughs) Um, So I could just go on and on and on. But um, Julia, do you want to tell him that story about, um, I mean, how you, how you kind of knew that he, he forgave you and he loved you and then how he was joking around with you? Yeah, I guess, I guess this is uh, kind of the, the end to, to my story about, you know, the guilt and the forgiveness and the reconciliation with Sam. And so uh, again, there was a, there was a period of time where I knew that he was in there, but he couldn't spell openly. So there's this like waiting period of, of there's stuff to know about him, but I don't know, right. How do I interact with him now? Like, who is he? Um, and, and it, it was a little bit awkward, at least in inside for me. I, I think a couple of things that helped, um, is that I was constantly seeking forgiveness from Sam and yet he couldn't, he couldn't give it to me. And I had to learn to forgive myself that, it, it was an internal thing. I had to forgive myself. And another thing I, I learned is I kept, I, I kept thinking like, I don't know, Sam, how, how could I project his forgiveness onto me? How could I assume that he forgives me without him actually saying thing? And, and I remember I was, I was giving him a bath one night and I was like, I, before, you know, I am one of the people that knows Sam better, you know, besides my mom, like, I have caretaken for him. I have, you know, I've fed him. I've clothed him. I've taken him on drives. I've spent so much time with him of the things that there are to know, you know, just being with the person, I know all of those things. And so I was able to, you know, before have him saying, I forgive you. Um, that was another way for me to, to accept his forgiveness. And, um, I, I guess, the, it was pretty funny right before I was preparing to move, um, to New York for grad school, I was just in the house at home walking around. I can't remember what I was doing. And suddenly I hear Sam's in a spelling lesson in the living room. And I hear some like giggling and like, Julie, you should come over. And he was in the middle of a lesson, went rogue, went freestyle and said, Julia, you picked the worst major in grad school. <laughs> I I was doing, I was going for creative writing. And uh, not just creative writing, you have to tell him really the worst major. 
creative yeah. nonfiction. Creative nonfiction, <laughs> which I got a lot of flack from people about how it's you're not going to make any money. Whatever, I did it, and it's done, and I'm happy for it. It was meant meant to be. Anyway, um, and then he, you know, they his my mom and his teacher kept you know asking him about it. And he said, "I'm I'm just being funny," and then he said, "I only wish for good moments for you in grad school," and um, and then this this past. Uh, this, this past birthday, or uh, I guess for some context, the, before Sam started spelling and, and when we were in the interim before he, um, before he could spell openly, I think the thing that was weighing on me the most was, was did he love me? And that maybe is selfish, but it was, I think it's an honest question. Um, after feeling like, you know, all I had done for him, both negative and positive, like where did, where did my life weigh in the balance, I guess, to be dramatic about it. Um, and, uh, I even remember one of the first things he spelled openly was love mom, Griffin, Lisa, dad, or something like that. And me and my sister were not included in that phrase. And uh, there's nothing to read into that. I mean, those were the people that were sitting in the room at the time and me and my sister were not there. And it was his first open phrase. He can't spell every person he loves, but I remember being like, oh no, does that mean he doesn't love me? You know, cause I'm reading into it. Um, so for my birthday this past, this, this year, I got to sit in on his spelling lesson and, you know, my mom said, Hey, do you want to wish Julia a happy birthday? And the first thing he spelled, he didn't spell happy birthday. He just, he didn't do any introductory. He just said, I love you. It was just the first thing he spelled. Um, and yeah. Wow. Yeah. We have a good relationship. Thank you so much for sharing the story. It's just, it's, it's so different. It's so unique. You know, there's so few listeners who are going to be in any sort of a situation that will feel applicable, except that this up and down and, you know, hopelessness and optimism is so universal. And it's just really inspiring to hear how you've, um, how you've survived over the, over these last 20 years and how you've made, made such beautiful, you know, moments that together and, and on this mission, and um, we're just so grateful that you would come and talk about it with us. Is there anything that we missed that you want to close with, Mindy? Um, yeah, I think I think Sam said it. I mean, I think the what I always want to remember is that he's he's a he's an extraordinary being, and. Um, he has lived through, he has lived through things we wouldn't, we will never understand. And what he's doing with all of his heart is trying to liberate everybody within the sound of our voice. So if anyone knows anyone who's a non-speaker, um, you can contact Julia and she'll, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. She'll hook you up. I'll help you. <laughs> but thank you this is really good I was so nervous about like being recorded and I just feel like oh. I feel like I know you guys and you've just been so lovely to email with and to talk with so thank well, you so thank much. you thank you so much for your time and your story yeah your whole family is so inspiring thank you all all right. Thanks so much for listening. We really hope that you enjoyed this conversation with Sam, Mindy, and Julia. And a big thanks to each of them for participating and sharing this remarkable and inspiring story. 
If Faith Matters content is resonating with you and you get the chance, we would love for you to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or whatever platform you listen on. We read all of the reviews and it really helps us to get the word out about Faith Matters. We appreciate the support. Thanks again for listening and remember you can check out more at faithmatters.org.